The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. This is everybody this morning. And a big welcome for folks who are here for the first time. Please feel free to connect um, at the end of the program or Tom and I'm not sure who the other program host is. Is it Lisa? Yeah, so Tom and Lisa are program hosts today. You can check in with them if you have questions about the center, any feedback for us. Or the office. Hi, we'll be in the office. <laughs> so this is uh, finishing up uh, maybe almost two months of talks and discussions on working with the thinking mind. Not a small part of our practice, you know, being folks who are interested in being more and more awake, more and more real about our experience as a human being, the obvious thing that is sort of surprising how often we miss it, but the obvious thing is this thinking mind. And our normal relationship is to just be unaware of the thinking mind. And then once we become aware of the mind, then the next kind of habit is to be frustrated by the thinking mind because we want to control it and can't be controlled because it's not, I know it sounds funny to say this, but it's not really you or me, the thinking mind. It's, well, in Buddhism we would say it's the activity of nature. So the mind really isn't that different than the marsh by your house or the woods up north or any ecosystem, right? It has its own lawful causes and conditions like any aspect of nature. And even part of that activity we call mind is the deluded thought that it's me. But that's also a natural or conditional arising. That idea that the mental activity is me also has its roots in nature, meaning there are innumerable causes and conditions that lead the mind to think, no, no, that's me. That's not nature. So even what in Buddhism we call delusion or ignorance or you know, making stuff up, <laughs> that's also nature. It's not somehow outside of nature. Ignorance isn't outside of nature. Just like good, like when someone's being really sweet or fearless and compassionate, engaging the world, doing good things in the world, that's also nature, just as much as despicable actions are nature. In fact, that's part of taking on these teachings, these pointing out instructions from the Buddha, you know, as if he were to say to us, okay, let's just start out with the presumption that absolutely everything is just the activity of nature. How does that change things? Like being a human being in relationship with others, trying to survive when we're more balanced, trying not to cause others harm. How does th- How is that helped by taking on that view that everything internally, externally, is just the activity of nature? So that's really the frame we've been using as we've looked at the thinking mind over these last number of weeks. And today what I wanted to emphasize is uh, something that can really help us 
be with the thinking mind, aware of the thinking mind in a mo- with more stability, like not getting pushed around by the mental activity. It's that misunderstanding of mental activity or thinking that causes us to get pushed around. Like if I'm having some reaction that involves emotion and feeling tone and thought, mental images, the normal way I, w- I would relate to that reactivity, that emotional reaction or whatever it is, is like, well, that's me. I'm having that. So that's I've got to do something about that. But when we have more space because we practice more perspective, then we realize that whatever emotional reaction we're having, a really despicable one or a really sort of wholesome response to some situation, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, the truth is it's just something being known. It's this mental activity, emotional activity, the feeling tone that goes with it. It's just all of that stuff being known. And you know, it's really an empowerment to realize that just because I've gotten triggered, something's happened in my life externally, let's say, somebody said something to me, done something to me, triggers a big reaction, maybe because it's similar to other things that have happened. Maybe I'm interpreting what the person's doing to me, or maybe I'm completely misinterpreting it because of my past conditioning. But regardless, whatever is arising right now in my heart, in my mind, in my body, it's not the truth in the way that we often interpret it. It's just some information. And sometimes that information is helpful, and sometimes that information isn't helpful. Which means just because we're having a full-blown emotional reaction doesn't mean that that information, that whatever it is we're seeing and feeling, is helpful or useful in terms of how we're going to respond, what we're going to do, what we're going to say or not say in that situation. It's a little frustrating because we'd like whatever shows up you know, as our internal response or reaction. We'd like it, we'd like to just depend on it being accurate or useful or helpful. But it, is that the case? I mean, isn't it true that a lot of times what shows up, the wisdom in the mind realizes, whatever this is, it doesn't really fit the situation. Like, it might have roots, like people who have been traumatized in the past. I mean, this is a more obvious example. You know, and something might happen. Let's say you you got mauled by a dog when you were three years old and have this trauma from... And then another sweet four-legged beast shows up, right, in, in your backyard. But you have a lot of stuff coming up because of the unresolved, unfinished business around being mauled when you're a kid. So if there's some wisdom, that whatever's showing up, that like wanting to throw something at the dog or wanting to run inside the house or whatever the sort of fight and flight uh, reaction that shows up in the heart, in the body, in the mind, right? Wisdom can understand, oh yeah, it's like this now. It feels like this. You might even not have anything to do to stop the trembling. You might just start shaking, right? But that's in no way a failure of practice. You might cry. You might just 
fall down into a fetal position. I mean, just sort of being a little bit exaggerating the kinds of stuff that can happen when we get set up, when there's some trigger, whatever it might be, depending on our past conditioning. A lot can happen. But there can be that wise and compassionate understanding, yeah, that's some information arising out of the past. Still, wisdom is responsible for knowing what to do with that information. Does that information apply right now or not? Right? In the same way, we might have conditioning around gender, around race, around class, around any number of these sort of differences that we all are navigating all the time. And it's going to show up, that cultural conditioning, that kind of conditioning we have, it's going to show up. There's nothing we can do about how we've been conditioned except to learn to recognize it. Oh, I have a lot of anxiety right now. I have a lot of fear, right? Is that information helpful? How might it be helpful? What should I do with this information in this moment, right? Be honest about it, more transparent about it, suppress it. Sometimes that's a useful thing. Like, uh, I get why this reaction is arising, but it's based on a very specific experience or cultural conditioning that arose out of a lot of ignorance. So I need to be aware of it so that I'm not confused by it, so it doesn't determine how I respond, how I show up in this moment. We have to kind of let it be in the room because it is in the room, right? So, But now we're letting it be in the room with awareness. So it's not determining how we respond, or at least that's our practice, but the way we not let it determine how we react or respond is by being aware of it and knowing where it's coming from. Like it's lawful, it's part of the conditioning of this heart and mind, but it's arising out of ignorance. I mean, that's really true with our conditioning around gender, sex, around race, around class. It's always showing up. The question is, are we aware that it's showing up? I always, unconsciously at least, sometimes consciously, notice how people are dressed. Notice the cars that they're driving. Notice the color of their skin. Notice sort of other affects of culture. I can't help but notice that stuff. I've been programmed to notice all that stuff. So this is part of our practice is realizing that this reactivity, that the emotional response, the feeling response to every moment of our lives, it's kind of raw information. And if we're not awake, if we're not mindfully aware, then that relatively primitive raw information is going to affect how we speak, how we, our body language, how we show up in the moment, which is why we're often replicating our cultural patterns over and over again. This is why it's so hard for things within our family systems, within our cultural systems, and within our own heart and mind. It's so hard for things to change because we're not aware of the information, this more primitive information system we call feeling, tone, and emotion. We're not aware that, that, Im- that, it, that it is information, but the information isn't complete. So we have to, there needs to be this force of mind we call wisdom in Buddhism 
that awareness right, of everything. And the thing I'm pointing out today is learning, training yourself to be aware of what it feels like in the moment. Because to be unaware of that, the f- what it feels like right now, a little unpleasant, a little pleasant, a lot pleasant, neutral, unclear whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, really painful. So whatever the feeling is right now, it's totally skewing how the mind is perceiving. So unless we're aware, like you might be carrying some subtle anxiety right now that's unpleasant. So if you're not aware of the subtle anxiety that's unpleasant, oh, it's just this subtle anxiety and it's unpleasant. It feels like this. I can be intimate. I can be open to that. I can keep it in mind, keep aware of it. Unless we're doing that, that subtle anxiety and the unpleasantness that that subtle anxiety is, is affecting who we are, how we are, how we're relating. It's the same if you're feeling good right now, feeling light, buoyant, happy, or whatever. But if you're unaware that that's just this feeling being felt, then it's also affecting, basically setting us up, right? Oh, life is great. Until it isn't. And then we feel worse. We feel betrayed. Because not only are we seeing that sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down, but we were up and we were confused by the up, the pleasantness, right? We were thinking this is really how it is. And so when it changes, then we feel like God's messing with us. Or, you know, we've been betrayed by life. Because I thought it was good. And now it's not good. And then we start to live with a cynical attitude. It's always bad. It's always a setup. But we're not aware of that unpleasantness. So then we're basically, again, deluded. Oh, yeah, it's just this heavy feeling in the heart. Just this unpleasant, anxious feeling in the heart. Just this sort of numbness, this unpleasant numbness in the heart. Or just this neutral feeling. That's actually the hardest, is to be uh, aware of neutrality. When... It's neither obviously pleasant or obviously unpleasant. And uh, just to give a little plug for the uh, winter Buddhist studies class, the Monday night Buddhist studies class that will begin, forget the Monday, it's the second Monday of January, so maybe like the 14th or 13th, whatever that Monday is. And it goes for eight weeks, and we're doing what's called in Buddhism dependent origination or codependent arising and it's the Buddha, you know, because he always starts with this presumption, it's all nature, then he had to explain to his students, well, if it's all nature, how come it feels like there's a suffering being here, right? Because that seems pretty obvious to me. And so the Buddha said, okay, this is why it seems like there's a suffering being here. And so that's his model of dependent origination. There is this feedback loop we call me or my mind, right? And he maps it out as a lawful feedback loop, right? There is this misunderstanding or ignorance. And because of ignorance, the mind, that ignorant mind, conceives of itself, right? And this is the mi- what we call the mind-body. And with mind and body, with the sensitivity, with being a somebody who's sensitive, we have contact. We have experience constantly impinged upon 
one thing after another we see, we hear, we touch, we think, all of that mental and physical phenomena impinges on the sensitivity of the mind, we say. So that's a basic description. Because of ignorance, we have consciousness, we have a mind and body, we have sense experience, unending sense experience, contact, and all of that, moment by moment, sense experience, it feels like something, neutral, pleasant, or unpleasant. None of that actually can be stopped. Once there's an ignorance, a a deluded mind, a misunderstanding or misperceiving mind, all of the rest is going to follow to the point of contact and feeling tone. And that's where we either will or won't insert wisdom. Like when there's contact, experience, and feeling without wisdom, then we react to the feeling. That habit to react with craving, wanting the pleasant to continue more of it, wanting the unpleasant to cease, wanting to ignore what's neutral because it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, that what we call craving, which is craving is really reacting to feeling as if it's personal. That's what craving is. It's reacting to the feeling tone as if it's more than what it is. Because what the Buddha is saying when he points to feeling, he's saying, you want to break this feedback loop, samsara, the cycles of suffering, doing the same thing, getting the same result, you got to get interested in feeling. You have to start misunderstanding feeling. You have to see feeling for what it is, not for what the mind habitually imagines feeling is. Because you know what it's like when we have a pleasant feeling, we think it's going to save us. Like if you put me on a massage table with one of my favorite masseuses, you know, I feel like the good feelings that are about to happen are going to make a difference. But I've spent a lot of money over the last 20 years. (laughs) I've paid, you know, whatever it is, a lot, 100 bucks usually a month, every month for the last 20 or more years to get a massage. It's like my preventative medical care. <laughs> but it always ends, right? It doesn't... <laughs> it ha- you know, in the big... I mean, I don't know. Like, has it made a difference? But all I know, same with like a nice meal. feels like it's going to make a big difference. But I've had a, li- a lot of nice meals, and it hasn't made a lot of difference. <laughs> I have a comfortable bed. I have a nice home. I have a great partner. I have a lot of nice things. And I still, you know, my experience as a suffering being, it's like one of the things that I'm wiser about and that I don't suffer on, like I'm, I'm not deluded that a pleasant feeling is going to make a difference. I keep checking it out, just <laughs> wondering. Maybe, just maybe this one. But it doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, so when I pursue pleasant experience, there's less delusion. And it's easier, like I have a busy afternoon with the several meetings, and so I'm not going to go home, and then it will be the evening program, then I have a meeting. And so normally, like if I really thought having a nice lunch with my partner was going to, that would be hard to let go of that, because normally on Sunday it's a time we get to have a meal together. And uh, 
But it's not such a big deal because I know, yeah, it'd be really nice and then it would be over. (laughs) And it doesn't make a big dent. As nice as it is, it doesn't mean it isn't nice. It just means pleasant feelings come and go. Unpleasant feelings come and go. I was talking to somebody who's here this morning and they're going through uh, cancer treatment. And they've been through it before. And it's like, uh, part of that is like, well, I said to the person, well, you've, you've done this before. Right? You know that you know what's up for you in some ways. And it's true. It's like, oh, yeah, it's really unpleasant. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. And not, of course, we don't know. The reason there's uncertainty and anxiety, we don't know how it's going to play out. But all of us has been through those kinds of crises, maybe not cancer, but maybe a breakup or financial insecurity or the death of a loved one or whatever it is. And we know it's like really, really bad. And part of the mind is misinterpreting the unpleasantness of a crisis, thinking like it's somehow definitive. But the more we've been through that, the more we realize, no, it feels like the end of everything, and then sometimes that changes, and it's not. Then it's a new thing. And if we open up, I mean, who knows? I don't know, but if we open up that we don't even know what death is, like we can't even say, yeah, and then we die, and then that's really it. No, we don't even know that. You can pretend you're certain that you go to heaven, or you can pretend you're certain that you just end and that's it. But I think the reality is, for most of us, we don't know. We know we don't know. It just maybe keeps going. We don't know. And this is the thing that we're cultivating around feeling tone. And it's really an uh, invitation in our practice is to, it's almost like we train the mind to ask all the time, well, what's the feeling here? What does it feel like? Whatever's going on, we're having a good moment, a difficult moment. Well, what's the feeling here? Can I be with this feeling? Is it dangerous or in some way unskillful to tune in, to relax with, to open up to the feeling that's right here? What happens when I'm more present with the feeling? Because then it's like tuning into the raw information. Remember, feeling is just raw information coming imperfectly out of past conditioning. Sometimes a feeling gives us some intuition about like, almost like a useful warning. Honey, be careful here. Right? And sometimes that uneasy, unpleasant feeling is just an expression of cultural ignorance that we, that we are carrying because we're, we were born out of a particular culture. And I don't mean generally, I mean our specific culture you know, our specific class and race and gender that we were conditioned by. And that's going to be speaking to us all the time. Having been born and conditioned as a white male, middle class male, right? That conditioning and the feeling that comes out of that conditioning is here all the time speaking to me. Mostly, right, because I'm not completely awake, consistently mindful, mostly unaware. And then we can realize, oh yeah, like it or not, this moment is interpreted 
through that. And one of the, interp- one of the causes for that interpretation is the, how feeling tone shapes perception. That's what I was saying earlier, right? If we're feeling that uneasy feeling because of cultural conditioning, then that uneasy feeling shapes how I'm perceiving what's going on, this particular interaction I'm having with another person. But we don't need a lot of theory about culture. I mean, I'm not saying it isn't helpful to sort of study sort of cultural conditioning and cultural uh, sort of history. I think that can be very useful. But what's more potent is just to learn to feel what we feel. What's the feeling here? And to really train ourselves to always know in every single moment of our life there is a feeling. A lot of times the feeling is somewhat neutral, but that neutral feeling has just as much of a conditioning effect on the moment as an unpleasant feeling or a pleasant feeling. So when it's neutral, like this is such a rare event for a human being, unless there's somebody who's been practicing these teachings from the Buddha. Think about how rare it would be to have a moment where you're sitting in some situation of your life, some cultural whatever situation alone with some folks outside, inside your house, and you realize, oh, it feels like this. It's, it's this very alive, neutral feeling. And this neutral feeling is shaping how I'm showing up, who I am, how I'm relating, and what's getting set in motion. Right? It has having the neutrality of what I'm feeling is having a condition in effect. And being unaware of it is no excuse. Right? We can't we don't get away with that. It's like just because, you know, we're a jerk, but we're not aware of our we're a jerk doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect in terms of what we're setting in motion for our own life and for those around us. Or just because we're acting out some prejudice doesn't mean it isn't having a terrible effect for our own life and for others. It's only when we are aware, oh yeah, this is what's, this is what's in play right now in this moment. This is what's in play. Let's, let's illuminate as much as we can. Let's let everything be in the light of awareness, in the light of day. Oh, yeah, this is what's moving. This is what's being felt. See, this is like one of the conditioned habits of you know, being a white male conditioned in the way that I was conditioned. I'm sure it's not that exclusive to my particular set of cultural um, sort of conditioned uh, like being white, being a male. But it's like pretending, when I'm uncertain, pretending that I know, right? Because it's scary to know that I don't know, right? That's sort of a habit, maybe. It's like the the meme, right? As, uh, the man is driving the car and is lost, but can't admit that they're lost, don't know where they're going, right? I just saw that recently. I forget where it was, <laughs> But so because there's that, there's a feeling there. Like what does it feel like to know that you don't know? Well, it's just a feeling. But if I'm unaware, then I think I'm going to, that feeling, like just to exaggerate, is going to kill me. It will kill me to just feel that feeling. But it won't. I've checked it out. 
It doesn't kill you to feel those subtle, yucky feelings that would otherwise be governing your behavior. Oh, this is what it feels like to admit I'm wrong. It's like it's so interesting with my my spouse, Wynn, the co-founder of Common Ground. Uh, It's like because intellectually I know it's okay. I mean, especially with Wynn, it's okay to admit like if I was wrong in some discussion that we had. Like theoretically I know that, but I, I realize that, no, no, I really have to just like own it right there. It's almost like a confession because I, I have to realize that that subtle yucky feeling is really okay. Like to really be humiliated. To really own being the one who didn't know. Or worse, being the one who thought he knew but was wrong. Right? Oh yeah, that's what that feels like. And it's just that yucky feeling. And here's the the last point before I open it up. The reason why that's safe to do is because feeling tone, like everything else, is very ephemeral. So we run away like we don't want to feel it because we think the feeling defines us. But the yucky feeling doesn't last very long. And that really empowers us when we realize we can feel that yucky feeling like you know, from another cultural point of view, being afraid of speaking up, being afraid of speaking your truth, for example. And that might, there might be a particular feeling of what we imagine it will feel like to expose ourselves, to kind of stand up and say what we think needs to be said in a moment. And because we don't want to feel that feeling, we may keep quiet. Because the sense of that feeling of, speaking the truth, speaking our truth, we might presume that somehow that feeling will define us forever. But it isn't. It's just a feeling that's there for a little bit and then it goes away. And then there's another feeling, probably the feeling of empowerment, right? Which will be a pleasant feeling. That will also go away. It won't last. But that's the thing. Feeling, the reason the emphasis on feeling, feeling, is to see not just that it can be felt, but that to be s- f- so that it's seen as being impermanent. Because then we realize that feelings come and go and are not self. They're not anybody. They're just a conditioned happening that arises. The feeling tone is there, and then it goes away, and there's another feeling there. And that goes away, and then there's another feeling there. It's just some an, a river of raw information that keeps flowing, 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 coming and going, coming and going. And it's just sort of part of what it is to be a human being is to have this primitive, raw information flow. But to misunderstand it means that we're governed by it. And the Buddha says, like, more than anything, this whole phenomena of being a deluded person, being pushed around by feeling, is driven by the unwillingness to get intimate with feeling, to wisen up. So let me leave it here. We have about 10 minutes. be nice to hear from some folks about what you've been learning around awareness of feeling tone, your own questions that come to mind. Yeah, let's start with Anne first and then to Dan. Well, I'm grateful for this training because I've been able to, sometimes when I'm sitting, like I feel I have a feeling coming in, let's say, like shame. 
and I am just able to feel it, and I almost take it out here, even though I'm still feeling it. It's kind of like a diamond, like it has many facets, and I'm able to just kind of look at it and go, oh, that's, I'm feeling shame, or I'm feeling jealousy, and it, that's, it's been nice to kind of have that. And last night I was in a, I'm in an organization that's going through a lot of transition. So we had a meeting and there was like 10, 12 of us at the meeting. And the woman that was, uh, the idea was that everyone gets to talk and go around the room. And that's kind of to not have somebody a little bit dominate it. And the woman that was leading, she had said all those rules to us and she was after everyone talked, she was saying quite a lot. And I just found like this anger just rising. And as I'm sitting here, it was sort of like fear under it that that it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to get to hear from people. And maybe we weren't going to get to what we desired for the transition. And I just found myself going, Rrr. <laughs> and I was, and I did notice that I was able to step back a little, be more lighten my facial expression and say have some compassion for her that this is what she knows to do and and also then like this morning I think and even there I was feeling some shame like oh didn't seem like everybody else was feeling horrible but and then it's sort of like what you're saying like well maybe I just don't know always how to is that okay that I don't know how to be, and I'm trying. And um, so I'm curious what you have to say to that. And also, these things about pleasant, I, I, I don't quite get that in a way. I get it momentarily, but I feel like all the pleasant events in my life make me kind of feel happier, like I'm glad I've had them. And yeah. if I didn't have them, I think it would be much harder, and I'd maybe be... Un, more unhappy yeah <laughs> because we want to let pleasant experience land and and we want to understand that that pleasantness that the real authentic pleasantness that does happen in life that it is what it is it's healing but it's also ephemeral right but it, in a way, it makes it more poignantly beautiful knowing that it won't last, the feeling, the pleasantness of it. And the same thing with the unpleasant, right? Knowing that it is also ephemeral gives us courage to be aware of it, to let it in, to kind of hold it. We start by sensing, taking advantage of the sense of space to, to have a sense of distance. But because of that, we are able to be more and more fearless and we really give it permission to be wild, whatever it is that's moving, because it's a movement. We can't really control whatever we're feeling. So then it's almost like we're willing to have the feeling right in the middle instead of with some distance. But that's an initial thing, that sense of space allows us to that there's knowing and the feeling and there's, sense, there's a sense of distance. But then have a sense that the anxiety and the knowing aren't somehow in different spaces or different locations. Because there's a more of an exposure. And to realize that that exposure is okay. Yeah, thanks, Anne. I think Dan was going to go next, and then we'll go to Helen here. Yeah, um, 
your your talk just hit on so many different fronts. Um, I'm going to focus on one just for the sake of not getting diluted here. But I was watching myself. Uh, had or I should say I had an experience while meditating this morning, uh, and it had to do with uh, kind of residual from a, something that happened earlier in the week that's still kind of bugging me. It was just somebody who I had to deal with who just was unpleasant, you know, and and it, it's funny because I. I Coming into this morning, I I could just feel that there, and and just look at it, but it, I couldn't really go anywhere with it. Well, I investigated that while I was meditating. I it, it was really funny because I I just got quieter and quieter and more accepting of it, and then um, I had this transition. It, it literally trans. I went from I I had the residual, but I went from just the uncomfortable aspect to it to just really quiet and then suddenly and this felt really like my natural state i felt compassion for the person and i was also curious about them you know why are they at that spot and it just it made me reflective because i think uh, for me on my feelings and what keeps these things going is the event itself but also the fear of my own reaction you know i'm kind of judging my own reaction i'm trying to in fact that's i think where my ego steps in because my ego wants to justify my reaction when i talk to others about it what have you and in the other part of me i go that's not where i want to be and there's that duality and there's there's no crisp thing about it it's just there and of course getting meditating with that i i got past that and i at that transition I really honestly felt like that was me, you know. So that was my little experience. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd say that is me, but that potential exists. That p- spacious potential exists. That uh, equanimous way of being, uh, that potential exists. Freedom is possible. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Let's pass it over to Helen. I wanted to say something about um as kids, we're not able to hold those intense energies. And so we um, develop defense mechanisms so that we don't have to feel, you know, anger, hatred, etc. Because they're too much, they would overwhelm our nervous system. So as adults now, um, we have to learn to bring those energies into the light and be with them. And they are very intense and hard to be with, but... That's a real big part of the practice. And uh, I've noticed through the years that just from doing half an hour, going to some retreats, a day of meditating, um, that now my mind is like, it's automatically just aware. This thought is being known. I'm seeing this. Um, anger is coming up. It's just automatic. It's, it's weird. I never thought that would happen. And, and also the big thing that's happened lately is um, I like to listen to sounds or the sound of silence and I've learned to kind of start dwelling there and the space has opened up bigger and bigger and bigger especially if I'm happy um, it's just it's amazing but when intense energies come down up I still get identified it's just they're too much for me to handle and the space isn't quite there yet especially pain in my body. I can't do that yet. But I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> that it's amazing what this practice will do. Yeah, that's a nice testimonial. Thanks, Helen.
Thanks, everyone. Have a good holiday if I don't see everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.